I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyus-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today for our series on women in the judiciary is High Court Judge Impachlele from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. Welcome to the show. Thanks and good morning to you and your listeners. Judge Impachlele, to start with, you've served the High Court of South Africa since 2013 when you were first appointed to the Gauteng High Court, thereafter the Mpumalanga High Court, where you've served as acting deputy judge president as well as acting judge president. Given your experiences with the High Court, can you tell us about some of the functions as well as its jurisdictions? Uh, mainly, we as judges, we are, it's contained in our oath, it's set out in our oath that we are here to administer justice to all persons alike without fear, favor, or prejudice in accordance with the Constitution and the law. And mainly we deal with the civil matters which exceed the jurisdiction of the lower courts as well as serious criminal cases. And the, regarding the criminal cases, the nature and seriousness is determined by the Office of the National Director of Public Prosecution. When we were chatting earlier, we spoke about how different jurisdictions came about. To my knowledge, there's 14 different high courts. We have uh, nine provincial in each and every province. We have the provincial, we have the high court, and you may find in other jurisdictions, depending on the geographical uh, area. Uh, layout, we have uh, local divisions. Like in Mpumalanga, we have the provincial division. It's sitting in Bombela. And in Middlebeck, we have the local division. But all in all, we have the nine high courts. In each and every province, we have one. So you have the, the regional distribution. Yes. You've been in, in the space for, for quite a while now. Appointing judicial officers is an enormous responsibility and obviously has implications on the person or, or the people that are, are chosen at the end of the day. We all know that bias is a human flaw, but sometimes gender bias is, um, is very prevalent. And I recall two previous conversations on the show in relation to, to gender appointments where a fictitious CV was created and... On one of the CVs, it had a man's name, so they called him Harry. And on another CV, it had a woman's name, and they called her Harriet. And the perception of the two candidates was completely different, with the, the male candidate being perceived as more likable and more capable, and the, the female candidate potentially being perceived as, as aggressive and um, not, not such a nice person. But it was an identical CV. And the other instance was with uh, Dr. Rina Kionka, who's the ambassador of the European Union to South Africa, where she promoted the inclusion of women onto selection panels that had a positive impact on the recruitment of, of women. What are some of the mechanisms in place to, to minimize gender bias in the candidate selection process on the judiciary side of things? Uh, 
Maybe I have to clarify this. The Judicial Service uh, Commission, headed by the Chief Justice, is the one which is solely responsible for the appointment of judges. And during my acting state as the judge president, I never had an opportunity to sit in the commission. So as a result, I'm speaking from my observation. What I've observed is that the inclusion of women as members of the commission has had an impact because we have seen the number of union judges improving. And I can say for the record that much can be done, but we come a long way and we have seen some improvement. We have seen an increase in the number of judges being appointed at the high court and the higher court and the constitutional court itself. So it's opening doors by having that exposure and um, I think it's gender diversity clearly on on selection panels has a a positive effect on, on women. I came across an interesting quote from the then International Development Law Organization's Director General, Irene Khan, where she said, and I quote, the quality of justice for women improves when women are not only consumers of justice, but also providers of justice. What's your perspective of this statement? This this goes without saying. Who can be better placed than women to provide over the gender-based violence cases? And not only uh, cases against vulnerable members of the society. I think we are sure changing ourselves if we're not appointing enough women to the bench. And I'm saying this because as women, in our very nature, we, we are patient and we are compassionate and sensitive. And yes, we are good listeners. And we are bringing a different perspective. And I know some people look at these characteristics that I've mentioned as like weak points, but I look at them as an advantage, which is good qualities for women to be appointed. Do you think that having more women in the justice value chain leads to decisions as well as public policies that are more considerate of issues affecting women? such as equality uh, and employment discrimination? Yeah. the Like I said before, the qualities that we have and what we went through and endured and some of the issues that will arise are the issues that the women have experienced themselves. So women will be better placed to deal with those issues and they'll bring that value to those positions. They've got the sensitivity, they've they've got the empathy of having walked that journey them, themselves. Yes, yes. I was quite interested in some statistics from 2017 which reflected on, on the ratio of male to, to female judges. And I noticed, and I know that this is three years back now, so I'm not sure how figures have changed, but in 2017, only 37% of South African judges were women. And in our conversations thus far in this series on, on women in the judiciary, we've learned about the South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges as a, an engine that 
builds capacity as well as capability to develop female judges. But looking at the fact that women only account for 37% of South Africa's judges, it doesn't seem that we're doing enough to try to increase the the ratio of, of women in the judiciary. So what else do you think needs to be done to, to increase the representation of female judges? I can confirm that we have such programs assisting in the facilitation of the appointment of women to the bench. But the other um, issue that we have to look at is the feeder to the profession itself. Traditionally, the feeders to the judiciary were advocates and attorneys. And we have to look at the women practicing in those fields because we hear of women complaining that they don't get proper briefs for them to be exposed and to some work for them to have experience. I've been an attorney myself. And I can confirm that it was very challenging for one to get briefs because if you don't get a proper brief, you won't get the relevant experience for yourself to be elevated or even be considered to be appointed as such. So if those issues can be looked at at that level, at the empowerment of women attorneys and advocates, what made you take that leap from being an attorney to become a judge? Um, what happened is that I got an invitation from the office of the deputy judge president in Houghton, and then I went to act as a judge. And during my 18th stint, that's when I developed an interest of becoming a judge. And then I applied, I went for an interview, and here I am today. It's quite a world apart because you were in private practice and then you're now coming into the the public space or public service. Yes, yes, it's a a world apart, you know. It's uh, coming from the other side. But the experience, the important thing is that the experience that you acquire as a practicing attorney helps it goes a long way in preparing you to be a judge because you would have practiced and you appreciate the people that appear before you, the hardships that they are going through in preparing to come before you and the challenges they are facing on a daily basis. And you really need that experience. So it's a strong experience builder. It gives you a a good view of the different stakeholders that are involved in the courtroom, which I'm sure helps you as you're you're elevated to to the bench. Reflecting on your career as as a judge or even as as an attorney in in practice, what have been some of the cases that have been particularly memorable for you? Um, Maybe as an attorney, what stayed with me is the level at which I was able to assist some members of the public to access the courts, especially those who are indigent. I would join the program by the Law Society, like the Wheels Week, where we do an awareness 
and help the members of the public. And again, the pro bono desk where we used to give free legal advice and services to members of the public who are indigent. And as a principal in my office, education is very uh, close to my heart. I would make a point that I mentor young girls and boys to make sure that they become um, better attorneys. They achieve their own goals. As we have noted, I was also a liquidator. And during my time as a liquidator, I was very proud in instances where I was part of the team where we were able to save jobs and able to sell businesses as going on concern and thereby securing people's jobs. All of those instances have had such a a positive impact on, on helping other people, whether it is about access to court systems because they're, they're unaware of being able to sustain people economically through through their work. You've shared with us aspects and, and cases from your work as an attorney. Are there any particular cases that have stayed with you from becoming a judge? There are so many, but I can for now quote two. The first one is the first criminal matter that was allocated to me. There was a serial rapist who targeted the young girls, and it happened that those girls were virgins, all of them, and they were doing a trick. And during testimony, they informed me that they were saving themselves for marriage. And I think those were good news for me to see young girls like that, but under unfortunate circumstances. So that one stayed with me. And the other one that I did, it was a criminal matter as well. And that raised an awareness about people living with albinism because I was very much disturbed to see that there are people who really believe that people living with albinism parts can be used to boost their own businesses. And when he came before me, it was very disturbing, and he stayed with me as well. Judge Impochlele, you know, we've been doing this series now for four weeks, speaking to your colleagues. And in every instance, when I've asked the question about memorable cases, Every single person has cited something in in connection with gender-based violence, in in connection with with sexual offences. You've been exposed to all of these types of matters. What do you think we need to do to change the narrative in South Africa to stop this reoccurrence of gender-based violence? We have good laws in our country, and there are initiatives about uh, making members of the public aware. But I think it's high time that we look at how we raise our girl child, boy children. How are we raising them? Because we have to liberate the young girls. Because in most of these matters of gender-based violence, not not all of them, most of them, you find it's an issue of dependency. 
And I think the home front, that's where we must start fighting. We must start empowering our girls and even empowering the boys as well. Yes, because by the time it reaches the court, it, it's too late. It's already happened. Yeah, it's very late. It's very late. And I can tell you, this, this is very much entrenched. You may find people who are so vocal about women rights. What they do is opposite to that. So it's so entrenched. Maybe it needs a paradigm shift. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe the home, that's where we must start fighting it. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Judge Impachlelef from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Impachlelef, you've been exposed to various cases. Some of them have been traumatic. Some of them have had a, let's say, a a rewarding end to them. But how do you cope as a person on on seeing all of these elements and not letting them interfere with with your life? I have my own depressing session. I'm very spiritual and I'm lucky to have uh, the leader of our church who's always available for me. And I'll always make calls and when I want to speak. But even the leader of our court is very supportive and my fellow uh, colleagues. And I have also a very supporting family. Support is vital on, on anything as an enablement and as you, you said, being able to debrief and allow you to move on. Yeah. You mentioned education a couple of times in our conversation, and we are very passionate about driving education as a tool to, to benefit women. You hold a BPROC as well as an LLB from the University of Limpopo. Can you tell us more about the role that education played in your life and career development? Education is a liberator. It's an added advantage in life. Especially having studied law, you know law, it has its fingertips in every sphere of, of, uh, of life. So that's why I'm so passionate about education, because you become so independent and you become so open-minded. Those are all important characteristics which as you indicated with education, they're they're things that can be developed even if you haven't experienced them, but education gives that to you. How do you think education plays a role as as a tool in the hands of women to help change their lives as well as their children's for the better? When I spoke earlier on, I gave my view about the matters uh, the gender-based violence matters. That in many of those matters, it's all about dependency. Because the woman would be saying, I stayed because I'm financially dependent on this man. So education, like I said, is a liberator. 
You know, the liberation and freedom that comes with education is immense, especially for the children. If they look at the mother and the mother is independent, it goes a long way. But if you stay in an abusive relationship because you are dependent on a man, you may be instilling some ideas in the girl child that you will regret later in life because that girl child will take that as a norm. It just creates that vicious circle effect yes. that, that she believes that this is the way life is, that she will then become abused, that she will accept that, it'll happen to her children. So we've got to stop and, and break these cycles. And yes. the thing that I find concerning is that we it almost seems to be a generational issue that we've almost um, given up on on what happens to an older generation to try to change their mindsets which are perhaps a bit stagnant but it's about trying to create and and rewire our our younger generational mindsets so that they are less violent that um, Mm -hmm. they are more amenable and accepting of gender equality Yeah, like I said before, as much as we be concerned about the girls, we must look at the boys as well. If the boys as well are staying in an environment where the father is abusing the mother, they also will take that as a a norm. So there will be, you know, like I said, we need that paradigm shift. And we must stop. To being too vocal about it and walking the talk. And we must lead by example. Thinking about the paradigm shift, how do we practically achieve that? I'll take you back again on how we raise our children at home and how as women do we respond if we find ourselves in abusive relationships. We have good laws in our country, but, you know, issues of violence, uh, where it happens in a home environment, it's only the people who are involved who can report. And if the woman is going to keep silent, how do we expect the authorities to get involved? Women must be empowered to report And I tell you, if you report, the person will change. But as long as we don't report people who are are abusive, they'll keep on doing it. In many instances of the gender-based violence where people end up being murdered, when evidence is led, it shows the person wasn't being physically abused for the first time, and it was never reported, and it was kept as a secret. So if we can be active and report them, I think it will go a long time. Because remember, we are about, we want to correct and rehabilitate. And there must be space for correction and rehabilitation. Exactly. And if people don't know because a case hasn't been reported, then, as you said, these are the issues that that escalate, that do down the line potentially lead to a murder. But if it had been reported when it was perhaps just a a, a verbal altercation as opposed to a physical altercation, it would have saved the woman in the long run.
Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Judge Impachlelef from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In our previous conversation, Judge Impachlelef told us about some of the work that she does within the judicial sector. We also spoke about some of the poignant cases which have have stayed with her. We looked at some of the interventions and mechanisms that are in place to try to increase and encourage more women to participate in the judiciary. Judge Impachele, looking towards the future for women, what do you think we need to build on the most to to build a a more egalitarian society where, where no limits are imposed? Again, it goes to the issue of attitudes. We have to change our attitudes and the socialization. And, and again, it begins with us raising the children. And even us role modeling. You, have, you don't choose to be a role model. Some people will look up to you and choose you as a role model. When you speak about raising children, it's actually women that are responsible in the main for, and I know I'm generalizing, but the the child rearing does fall into the the remit of responsibilities for women in the main. So in effect, uh, and maybe I'm looking at this in in too much of an abstract way, but women have the control and the, the potential of changing societies by the way that they socialize their children on who those individuals will become as adults and the way that they will behave and respond in the world going forwards. Yes, so remember, there's a powerful uh, position that the women hold. But what we have uh, to make sure is that we empower the women themselves. Because if we have women who are not confident in themselves and who have been socialized to think that we are as women inferior, we don't have the objectives that we want to reach. It is a very complex topic. And if we had all the answers, we would all be in that egalitarian society right now. But um, it leaves us room for improvement and looking for, for solutions to, to take us on that journey. Judge Impachele, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. Uh, Some people speak about hard work, others uh, talk about perseverance um, or, or motivations. Can you tell us, in your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers for your success? Nothing beats hard work and perseverance. And the most important tool is empowerment. You must acquire knowledge. What I did when I was in practice when I came in, if I identify in each market, I would register for 
an appropriate diploma and empower myself. And when I go to knock at the door and ask to be given an opportunity, I'll be saying I have the qualification and I need an experience. Please give me the opportunity. Like when I wanted to be a liquidator, what I did after work, I would travel to University of Johannesburg and then I obtained a diploma in insolvency law and practice. And that was my approach and it helped me. I did several diplomas and it helped me. And perseverance and hard work, nothing different. And like you said earlier, you're, you're living proof that education is a liberator. You've yeah. attained your qualifications uh, and by attaining those qualifications, it empowered you to then approach a, a new job or a new space and you were able to, to take that on. Yes, education is indeed a liberator. And in the process, I was able to even open my own welfare and I even went further to start a liquidation firm. And it's all because I went all out to obtain the relevant qualifications. You let nothing stop you? Nothing. Having spoken about some of those success factors of hard work, of perseverance, of self-empowerment, can you share with us who have been some of the strong women in your life? It's several of them. Uh, but at the top of the list is my mom, uh, because she instilled values in me, in me, which I still live by, even though she passed on in 1996. And most of the women who inspired me and motivated me, I never had an opportunity of meeting them. But I followed their lives, their successes, and they motivated me. I was lucky to have an opportunity when I started in the High Court in Johannesburg to work with Judge Mailula and Judge Masipa. And from a distance, I watched people like Judge Navi Clay, and I was also motivated by the appointments to the Constitutional Court, like of Judge Khampepe and the recent work of Judge Tipe. And also the appointment of the president of the uh, Superior Court, the Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein, Judge Mandy Samaya. So it's been a several of them, and some I met even when I was practicing as an attorney, and some are not even lawyers. But I think maybe it's different about uh, women that really motivates me. The fact that you mentioned your, your mom and the, and the values that she inspired in you, it, it really speaks to what we were talking about earlier about the strong impact that, that mothers have and the influence that they have on their children, on, on how they nurture them to who they become in later life. You know, one thing that she instilled with me, she was very spiritual, but she always, as I was growing up, she informed me that I would amount to nothing if I don't have education. And that's what stayed with me all the way. And that's why I'm here. And even now, I still go on. You know, life is it's a learning journey. And um, that's why I'm so passionate about education. And the other thing that she taught me is to share in 
some people's uh, achievements. Like, she's originally from Limpopo. We were staying in Mamelodi, but when our relatives who studied in UNISA come to graduate, she'll, she'll make a point that she celebrates their achievements as they pass by our home and says that I must celebrate other people's achievements. Those are wonderful, especially about celebrating other people's achievement. Yeah, and I think that's what motivates me to want to share the knowledge that I have when uh, aspirant judges are being trained. I've joined the panels and I'd be part of sharing the knowledge because what I've noted is that in sharing knowledge that you yourself empower yourself as well because you gain something. You can never go to a training and come back the same. No, it, it makes you, you richer. It, it develops yeah. that knowledge base. Yeah. Whilst you were growing up, can you share with us some pivotal moments or important aspects in your younger life? You know how, how I decided, now that you've taken me there, how it came about that I studied law. It's when I was growing up, because of the character of my mom, she was more of a community person. I took a decision that I want to serve our community. And in those days, it was the days of apartheid when you see your people suffering. And I said I wanted a career where I can serve the community. And I had two uncles. One was a magistrate. May his soul rest in peace. And the other one was a practicing attorney. And I became very close to them. And how they were humble and... Uh, amid their success. And I took a decision one day, I was very young. I said I wanted to be like them. As a young person, I thought that lawyers were taught at university to be humble. So I wanted to be trained to be humble. And that's how I ended up being a lawyer. It's great that you had the the family business around you as a nurturing field and and space to, to motivate you into the field of law. Thinking towards the future, what legacy would you like to leave behind and be remembered for? Um, You know, I like bringing change. I'm passionate about equality between women and men. If I can touch lives and people learn, men and women who come after me, learn to respect each other and men to appreciate women for who they are as equals. That would be a better society. Absolutely. That would be an important legacy to leave behind and being able to touch lives and change people for the better. In order to achieve that, what I do is I... In my spare time, I like addressing young people. And I know sometimes people lose hope in young people and use ways like the lost generation. I don't like a tent like that. Then I get involved and then I will address them in my community or a church. And I always believe that 
even after that meeting, if I can only uh, touch one life, it will go a long way. Well, if you touch one life, their life will then touch somebody else's life and yeah. it'll hopefully have that positive spin-off. Yeah. And finally, as we close out our conversation today, in recognition of Women's Month, could you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to ladies listening to us on the continent? You know, as women, we are powerful. It's unfortunate that because of the environment, we tend to undermine ourselves. I would encourage women to go out there and seize the moment. Like in our country, we have programs about empowerment of women. And unfortunately, as women, we allow ourselves to be used in fronting for businesses, and we don't even benefit financially for those, from those uh, dealings. So I would urge women to empower themselves and seize the moment and go out there and let them be counted. And we can only be counted if we empower and have the necessary knowledge. Thank you for that important and practical message. It's been a pleasure to host you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on your show. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Judge Impachlele from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court.